happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of You're Welcome. Guys, let me get out of the way. We will not be here on Friday. We're going to pack the show for you today, and i got to tell you, coming up, John Cavanaugh says Conor McGregor is returning to form, and Yarrera Rodriguez beat Brian Ortega this weekend. I'm going to tell you guys why so many of you are wrong about what really happened in that fight. But before we get to those stories, we got some breaking news. Let's begin there. Nate versus Jemayev, guys. What do you think? I mean, let me just throw it right back to you. I am very curious on what you think on that. Of all the fights that I was hearing for, Nate, this one's the one I heard about the most time ago. I mean, we're talking November of last year. I can't even remember who came first versus Jemayev. It came up at a press conference, but it was either Nate or Nick, and I think it was Nick. How long ago was that that Nick fought Robbie Lawler, which means the conversation for it was, it? you know, you know it's been a long time. And I will tell you, as we ponder this, as we kick this around, this was the least for me. Now, make no mistake, I want to see Nate fight. Make no mistake, I want to see Chamaya fight. Make, uh, these, these are stars. This is a great, I'm just sharing with you, Nate versus Connor part three, the trilogy that we all believed wholeheartedly we would get. And that even includes the organization. Thought, hey, look, we can offer that at any point. No matter where those guys are at in their career, everyone's going to want to come get a huge payday to be a main event in a massive fight. That's what this is. We're safe. We're protected. And I think we all thought that too. I did. I'll be disappointed when we don't get it. And then you talk about Nate. Uh, there was some talk of Tony Ferguson. I really liked that. I thought the Kevin Holland idea solved all the problems. I really did. When Kevin Holland called out Nate, I sat back and go, yeah, that's the fight right there. And then Nate went quiet real quick, and so did Kevin, which is generally clues for us. And I brought to you guys last week, hey, look, Nate's got a fight. Nate's in training camp. Nate backed me up on that the next day on Twitter. Sent out a picture of himself in the ring sparring. Went on Ariel's show, and then he kind of muddied the waters. Right, if Nate knew about this fight with Shemaev, the entire appearance on Ariel's show makes you scratch your head a little bit and go, okay, what were we doing there? Because Nate revealed to us, hey, they want me to fight Connor, but they want me to wait. I don't want to wait. They've offered me Shemaev multiple times. That's the only one I'm not interested in. What's Poirier doing? I mean, Nate, he, he seemed to package everything up very clearly, but I did think that there was a couple of messages that we could take away. And apparently I took the wrong ones. First off, he's not interested in Connor. Second, he's not going to fight Chemayev, which is news that we already had. And as it pertains to Chemayev, what happens from here? Like, I know on one hand, you're going to say this is a number one contender's fight. If Chemayev beats Nate, he's he's all shined up. He goes right in there with Usman. I, I, I'm well aware that those things could happen. But you're going to have to make that argument, okay, at a time when the Blahal Mohammeds and the Gilbert Burnses of the world are booked, at a time when the Colby Covingtons and the Leon Edwards of the world are booked. I mean, don't forget that. You have no other welterweight fight right now. Soon you're going to hear about Wonder Boy versus fill-in-the-blank. And you're going to have two or three really big name, really high-ranked welterweight fights that are also scheduled to go on. 
It's going to be hard to look at this one and go, that's our number one contenders fight. It's just going to be hard. Okay, let's say I've proven my point. It's not a number one contenders fight. Think about that from Chemayev's standpoint. Chemayev going back as far as a year, and it could be two, right? The pandemic really threw me off. I used to have a good sense for half a year ago and year and a half ago. I used to have a real good sense for this, but I've been thrown off. But at some point, Chemayev was supposed to fight Leon in a number one contenders match. Don't forget that. That was a period of time ago. That fight was signed. It was booked. Chemayev versus Ch- So a, a year or more ago, Chemayev was announced and signed for a fight that if he wins, he fights for championship. That did not happen. He then goes there and has this wonderful business with Burns. But that wasn't meant to be a number one contendership. That was meant to draw him in to a number one contender's fight opposite Colby Covington. So I'm just speaking from Chemayev's standpoint. Things have changed. Chemayev will do what he's asked to do. Chemayev wants to fight. That's the gimmick. That's the marketing. He's going to stick with it. I understand it, but let's be fair to him. He is a human being that's working very hard and has a goal. And a period of time ago, he was one win away on two separate times. The make-believe fight with he and Colby being one of them, him versus Leon, which was signed and booked. Each of those fights, he was one win away from being in a championship match. I don't know that this is going to be championship match when this fight's booked and you have the Blahals and the Gilberts and the Wonder Boys and the Covingtons of the world also, I think it's going to make it hard. Okay, fine. Fine. But where does he go from here? Right? Every fight is about that. Same will go for the winner. Same will go for the loser. And I'm looking at this from Chemayev's standpoint because if Nate wins, we understand. Nate's been very upfront with us to tell us I'm not coming back to the octagon. So it's just one of these spots where if I was to have made a prediction for you, what fight is it not going to be? I thought we've been pretty clear on this. I thought we've been pretty clear for a year. Not interested in Chemayev. Now, I'm not attempting to rain on this. Anytime Nate's going to fight, that's big news. I'm excited. I know that my body language isn't sounded right now. I am okay with it, but I, I got to understand it. We're going to Madison Square Garden. Everybody in the UFC is either champions or contenders. As soon as you prove you can no longer be a champion and you can no longer be a contender, you're no longer in the UFC. There's other places to do this, but that's what this is about. So if we're going to book a main event at Madison Square Garden, generally, broad stroke, but it's going to be for something. And we can't call it a number one contenders match when one guy isn't coming. We know that going in. So what are we doing? Do these two have a personal beef? Well, I got some bad news there. No, they don't. Shemayev's never really gone at Nate. He said he wanted fights. He's thrown his name with other names. He's, he's never really picked on him. Nate's never really picked on Shemayev. Others say, look, you look pretty good, but you don't have a good enough ranking. Call me when you do. Okay. That's what everybody else said too. I'm just trying to make sense of this. I'm picturing myself on fight week. You know, you got the weigh-in, you got the special media, we got the mecca, we got all of these things. Why are we here? I'm going to have to answer that. That's part of my job. I've got to tell you why we're here. Why does this matter? The five W's. Who, what, when, why, and where? Why are we doing this? Why are these two fighting? 
And I can accept anything, by the way. I don't need a good answer, a great answer, a salacious answer, a dirty answer. I don't need anything. I just need the answer. If this is all about promoter, this is the fight Dana wanted the end. If you're going to leave the organization, you're going to leave it fighting this. Okay, I'm in. That is actually a really good answer. I've seen Vince McMahon use that. I've seen that work in WWE. I've seen arenas fill up. But that's not the answer we've been given. That's not the answer we're ever going to be given. Is it a potential number one contender's fight for Chimaev? Because if it is not, it has now slowed Chimaev down. It doesn't speed him up. It doesn't ramp him up. This is a main event in the Mecca. It ha- there's something, Something's got to be on it. And right now, I'm still left with what? I don't know why they're fighting. They're fighting. I will watch them fight. Everybody seems to get what they want. This is the match the promoter wanted. Chimaev needs some shine. Nothing like getting it in the media capital of the world, New York City. Diaz needs a match so he can go. Everybody's getting what they want, which is generally what a good negotiation is about. Everybody's getting what they want, but me. I don't know why we're fighting. Old Joe versus Dillashaw. This appears to be done. I know that we've heard that for a while, guys, but it does appear to be done. And even while we were hearing, hearing the rumblings and the rumors of this, one thing we've never been told is when could Dillashaw be back? Right? Don't forget, the only reason TJ's been out, the only reason he hasn't been in there fighting for championships or in main events, fight, he, he hurt something. Was it his shoulder? Did he hurt his shoulder in the Sandhagen fight? But we've never been told when he's going to be back. All right, great. It looks like we've got some clarity. Even though it wasn't crystal clear, it's going to be Aljo. It's going to be Dillashaw. And Aljo's the favorite. Does that surprise you? The official favorite at DraftKings right now is Aljo is favored over Dillashaw. That surprised me. And you know what else it means, guys? And I'm fine with that. This is a good fight. This is a hard fight. That did surprise me, though. Henry. What's it mean for Henry? And this has been a botched return, as best I can tell. And I haven't wanted to admit that. I haven't wanted to admit that because I haven't believed it's true. I haven't believed it's true because Henry Cejudo... When he entered the USADA testing pool, made headlines all around the MMA world. That does not happen. The only time an athlete and USADA make headlines is when the athlete pisses hot. That's it. Henry made front page news on ESPN.com just for entering the pool. And that meant something to me. I said, whoa, this Henry returns a big deal. And then we went to get clarity on that. Hey, has it got to be four months? Does it have to be six months? There's something about if a guy, it's only two months. How long does Henry need to be in the pool? We've never been given an answer. Ever. And that was my first clue is there's trouble in paradise. My first clue is that we wouldn't wrap that up and make that clear to the audience. Then Henry starts doing his back and forth. He's going to be going after Volkanovsky. He's going to be looking at Aljo. He's going to go back and forth. Somewhere Conor McGregor got thrown in there. But as I'm watching this, and it's working, it's getting chattered. It's making headlines. I'm thinking, Henry's got this thing. Henry's got this thing right right by the balls here. Everything's going Henry's way. It even looked at one point that Henry was the one making the choice. Do I want to go to 45? And he might not have been guaranteed Volkanovsky, but he was guaranteed Max. I mean, he, he was to this level where, hey, I can't promise you a title fight, but I can promise you one away. You want to come and do 45, you got to show me one. But I'll make it the one. 
So he's in this really good spot. That's all that I'm bringing up. And the more the time goes by, the more I start looking and going, am I being duped? Is Henry not in this tr tremendous spot? Is the UFC not welcoming him back with open arms? Is this as simple as TJ was promised the fight? We're going to go on with it. Henry, you're working some, some calendar dates out with USADA. This whole thing's going to balance in the end. And Henry, you're going to see the winner of Dillashaw versus Sterling. Is it? I mean, if it is, why hasn't somebody told us? And every time that I think Henry's got this whole thing figured out, I get confronted with some other information. That the media does seem to be gravitating towards Henry. Henry seems to be able to say any fighter's name and get a tremendous response. We just saw that with Sugar Sean. Henry seems to be able to get in there and poke and claw and do some very interesting things. Somebody is meeting this deal with resistance. Even if we're going to see Dillashaw versus Aljo, and just because that fight was announced, I mean, this fight's been rumored for a month, just because it's announced isn't where I'm just throwing the uh, the baby out with the bathwater here as it pertains to Henry. There's some other things that I'm seeing that are making me say, hey, wait a minute, somebody, whether it's Henry's team, whether it's the proposed opponents, or they're a second floor of the Ultimate Fighting Championship, Somebody is not meeting this return with the open arms that the media and the headlines once led us to do. Now, I have a problem as a Henry supporter, and it's only one. And that problem is I just don't know what weight he wants to go. Now, that could be manipulated. That could be used for positive guys. You don't know what weight Conor McGregor is going to go. We do not know if he's going to be a 55 or a 70 pounder. Most 55 pounders are calling him out. I feel very strongly he's going to return at 170. My only point being... Picking and identifying the weight class as opposed to making us wonder, no problem. You got no problem there. There's a way to play it. What I'm sharing with you is Connor knows what weight he's going to go. He hasn't just come and told us. I don't think Henry knows. I don't think Henry has sold himself on the idea of returning to 135. I think that Henry is he's getting back into training, but he's also a father and a husband and a commentator. He's a coach. I think he's seen... That life can just be more pleasurable with a few more pounds on. I went through it. I mean, I can attest to it. Nobody's ever moved up in weight and said, oh, that, that experience was worse than sweating it out in the sauna. And I do think that it's very real. I'm not sure that Henry, within his own heart, right? Because if I'm right and something is amiss here, on Henry's team, on the competition's team, or on the second floor of the UFC, something appears not to be on the same page. But if I'm right on that, Henry not identifying what weight class he's going to go could explain all of that. What do you want Sean Shelby to do? How do you want Mick Maynard to do a booking if they don't know what weight class? So I'm only suggesting that, but I do suggest there could be some trouble in paradise. And I also suggest for you that there was either two, four, or six months that you got to be in the USADA pool. Henry's on three. That's off the top of my head. We're sitting on three right now. Right now, a couple weeks left and we'll be at three. So he's either satisfied by the rumor that there's two, he's two weeks from satisfying it if the rumor is four, or he's ready to sign a fight if the rumor's six. And one of those is true. So it would seem as though it's time to buckle down. I don't know if Henry has ever been in bigger demand, 445 pounds. I think that was a long shot from Jump Street, but I don't know that he's ever been in a better position at 145 pounds than he is right now. Volkanovsky has said he wants to leave the division. That's not because he's pissing on his own division. It's not because he doesn't respect those guys. It's because he's fought them and he wants something new to do. That was all 155 pounds was about. 
Let me go stare at some new names, some new tapes, some new film. Let me get these guys that have been on my mind for five years out. It's a very relieving thing as an athlete. It's a very seductive proposition. Well, Henry would satisfy that. Volkanovski is going to go get this hand surgery business. Emmett and Rodriguez could be fighting for an interim championship, says you. Nobody has said that but you. There's no confirmation on that. Emmett and Rodriguez don't appear to want to fight each other. And I don't mean that they wouldn't sign contracts and step into the octagon. I mean, they don't understand that both guys have equal argument to be a number one contender, which means you guys are now in a fight. You're in a fight through the media. The most interesting thing that Josh Emmett has said since he's been put in this position is that he had bad seats to a UFC. I like Josh Emmett. I'm a believer, man. I'm a believer. I will do what I can to help that cause. But the only thing that he said were the goddamn is that he didn't have good seats to a UFC. Yori Rodriguez says that he was promised a number one contendership. He goes out there, does the unthinkable. He was a 16-1 to underdog to do it, which was to submit Brian Ortega in the very first round via arm lock. He succeeds at that, lets the commission call it a TKO, and moves on about his day. Okay, great. If you guys don't want to fight, Henry, step forward. Henry has never been more interested. I'm not telling you that I would predict he could get the fight. I'm, I'm telling you what the score is. It's Josh Emmett, bad seats. It's Rodriguez, bad call. It's Henry Cejudo, your move. Let's go back to the weekend that was and take a look at what happened down on Long Island this past Saturday in the main event between Yari Rodriguez and Brian Ortega. The grip was tight on my arm and it dislocated. That's a quote. That is an exact quote from Brian Ortega. The grip was tight on my arm and it dislocated. Now, we don't generally turn to the fighter to find out what happened. We're, that's not what we do. We're the adults in the room. We're the one with the vantage point. We're the one stress-free. We're the one with the advantage of instant replay. We don't generally turn to the fighter. We look down and go, okay, here's what happened. But guys, this was a big miss over the weekend. Huge miss. Your ear Rodriguez grabbed an arm, hoping to do damage to said arm and succeeded. The fight was stopped because of the damage. That's a submission. Very big deal. It will be tough for Yarir Rodriguez to get a title fight against Volkanovski off of this. It will change things. I mean, right this very second, if Yarir was awarded a victory by submission, his name would be the top of all of the pages, it'd be the top of all the sites, the BJPens.coms of the world, the MMAs, the junkies and the fightings, the elbows and the manias. He would be giving quotes on how he thinks he's going to do. They would have gone to Volkanovski by now. Some jerk reporter with the low-hanging fruit would have called Josh Emmett for a response on being swerved. I mean, but this is, this is where we would be. Instead, at the post-fight press conference, Dana was asked, are you going to rematch Ortega and Rodriguez? Are you going to give Emmett and Uriah Faber the fight they've been calling for? The exact question was asked. So it's a colossally big deal. It's a colossally big deal that Yorir Rodriguez is recognized for submitting Brian Ortega, which is what he did. That doesn't bring me some kind of a pleasure, by the way. 
I thought that fight was going great. I thought Ortega was handling that fight quite nicely. And I have an overarching question that I'm just curious would like to know. How good is Ortega? Is Ortega the third best guy in the world? Is Rodriguez the third best guy in the world, right? It's a really interesting division. When Volkanovski and Max have separated themselves from the pack, and then you can't really do an X's and O's anytime you're throwing Rodriguez in because he's insanely talented. He's insanely and incredibly unique. It's never it's never apples to apples when you're trying to break somebody down. You never know what the hell's going to happen with him. He just makes all the sense in the world to make the number one contender, which is something he may still get. But as of right now, Volkanovski has not even said his name. As of right now, Dana White, who told him, allegedly, with, with a victory, you will be fighting for the title. Well, he got a victory. But of course, none of us thought it was going to be a freak accident. Was it a freak accident, guys? He grabbed an arm, just one. All the bones, all the limbs, all the parts of a person's body, he grabbed one arm. He then damaged that arm. Now again, we don't usually turn to the fighter, right? There's very good reason that you don't come out and go, who do you think won that fight, right? It's one of those things. But sometimes in a situation like this, where it was covered up, the insides, the exterior of that shoulder specifically, was opposite to the vantage point that any of us had. So sometimes it is very helpful to turn the fighters and say, do you guys know what happened? And when they both tell the same story, then we go, okay, well, now we've got it. Brian Ortega himself said his grip on the arm was tight. It dislocated. How is this not a submission? I'm open to being wrong, guys. I'm pretty passionate on this one. I get the red face. I get the veins here and there. That doesn't make me right. Just because I sit over here and shout, it doesn't make it so. I'm aware of that, but tell me what part I got wrong. This is absent of Ortega himself telling us. He put a grip on my arm and dislocated my shoulder. Absent of Ortega telling us that. There was what's in this sport known as a catch. We saw that with our own eyes. The moment that that situation... That exact position, the moment it was done, the shoulder was dislocated. Not a moment later. Not a second later. Not the next beat. Not the next frame. Not the next thing that we knew. No, right then. Which would lead a reasonable person to believe and to understand. We don't actually know when it got hurt. From the time they hit the ground, when that thing was intact, to the time that we saw it out of tack, the only action was the catch. So any damage done to a body part that stops the contest would result in a submission. We have to get this right. Guys, I think it's probably already too late. I think it's probably already too late. And Rodriguez, if he can get the momentum behind him and they can push Josh Emmett out of the way, these two boys, Rodriguez and Emmett, they're in a fight right now. The two of them, they can get this uh, situated. And it may still lean to Yair. I'm only sharing with you, it's a conversation that it's really not fair to have. It should not be in half. It would seem as though the $50,000 submission of the night without question would go to Ortega. I told you guys yesterday that was 14 to 1 at DraftKings. First round armbar submission for Ortega was 14 to 1. I was wrong. It's 16. It was 16 to 1. You bet $1,000. You get 16 
$1,000. I mean, it's very meaningful. You get some jerk that rolls in there with ten grand, and all of a sudden he's leaving $160,000, right? It's a very exciting thing, but it's also that rare. You would be taken away from those betters. What are you, how are you going to say it's a TKO? Announcers are talking about he, Ortega's sitting back. He's looking for a heel hook. It was none of those things. He was injured. The injury happened by an offensive tactic done by his opponent who was not given a submission victory. I mean, it's really important that we get these right. And we're kind of in a weird time right now, guys. You and I were always on the same team. Always on the same. Now it's a little bit of, no, Chael's got to go play over here because you guys want to make believe that Charles Oliveira is the champion. It's like, guys, I'll play along too as long as we're winking and elbowing each other. As long as we do fully understand that that title is vacated. Which would then give us the opportunity, if Charles gets a victory over Islam, to call him a two-time champion. What's better than being the champion of the world, guys? Being a two-time champion of the world. It's really important that we tell these stories and we have the facts the way that they went down. Not to mention, it's a little bit troubling for me that the whole world is watching something, but because a voice told you something different, a voice told you heel hook, a voice told you freak accident, that that voice overpowers what you just saw and what you have the ability to rewind and watch again. It truly is a little bit troubling for me that the whole world saw this and is debating whether or not it's a submission. That an athletic body oversaw this fight and is writing it down. That people that went to the window and bet that this would end by victory in the first round for Yari Rodriguez are not being paid. There's other things that must take place for something to be a TKO. Now, it's not the actual rule. But from everything we have observed, which is two boys are fighting and the referee steps in the middle of it. The athlete has failed to protect himself by doing a tap. The corner has failed to protect their athlete by throwing the talent and getting him out of there. The referee can then step in and break the action. There was no action. These two weren't attacking each other. They weren't hitting. They weren't fighting of any kind. So to even bring, to even have an eligibility for the definition of TKO, I'm not sure how we ever got there. And aside from everything that was crystal clear and that you all saw yourself, aside from all of that, we will now go to the lowest fruit, right? When you bring the actual athlete in, you're now pretty low. But when the actual athlete says he had the arm tight and it dislocated, we have, without question, without discrepancy, a submission. So sticking with the theme of some news on today's show, it was announced this week that we've got a title fight coming up in October at UFC 280. You know, guys, we got Makhlchev, we got Oliveira, this is done. And we touched on it over here, but not really. We never really paid that thing off. And that's an interesting match. The timing of it is fascinating. I'll go a little bit further. And it's really hard. I want you guys on the same journey as I am, which is I want our gold standard over here to be reality. Right now, the gold standard for making decisions is emotions. 
How do you feel? How does it make you feel? I'd like to go back to reality. The truth is, at 155 pounds, Oliveira is not getting ready to defend against Islam Makhlchev. He's going out to fight for. Mindset, guys, is so important. And you know that. You don't disagree with that at all. But mindset is vastly different if you are a champion protecting something versus if you are a challenger going out there to get something. That's just logic and we understand it. How do you want to play that and apply that to Oliveira? That's up to you. Use your own examples. Use your own mind. Look at history. But if Oliveira does go out there and achieve this, he will become a two-time champion, which is a significantly different accomplishment than a one-time champion. And you'll get guys that have been trying to cheat the system for years. Like, you'll get a guy that goes out and defends the belt five times, and then on a poster for a seminar he's doing, he'll put that he's a five-time champion. It's not true. And it's really important that we do tell these stories correctly. So I'm, I'm bringing this to you because when you get Makhlchev and you get Oliveira together, all right, if you would have, now I'm going to go one day, one week, one month, one hour before Oliveira fought Justin Gaethje. Oliveira versus Islam was the last thing I wanted to see. Unless we were just sick of the Oliveira experiment and we're going to get somebody else and put the belt around him. That is really how I felt about it. They could fight five rounds or they could fight 500 rounds. It's going to be Oliveira on bottom getting pummeled by Islam. This is how I felt about it. Oliveira is a much better fighter than I knew he was. I knew he was great, by the way. By the way, 155 pounds is the hardest and toughest, deepest division, not only in the sport, but in the history of the sport. It has been this way for about six years. 155 is just iron on top of iron, and I fully acknowledge Oliveira was the rightful champion, rightful top contender. And I only said because no point do I put him down. He's better than I thought he was. I thought he was the best. He's better than I thought he was. And now all of a sudden the Makhlchev fight is interesting to me. There's not very many techniques. There's not very many philosophies. That when they set this cage up this Saturday in 2022, if you juxtaposed when they set that cage up the first time in 1993, not very many things carry over. All the way down to the uniform and the attire. There's not very many things that you could see in 93 that you could see today, except for one. If you get on top of a guy and you start pounding on him, good things happen. So when I look at that matchup, I do have to dismiss Oliveira just a little bit. And I do understand before every one of these fights, the jiu-jitsu community wants to come together and talk about the guard and talk about the rubber guard, but they don't ever want to give us an example that is in any reasonable timeline as to why we should believe that you can win a meaningful fight from your back. And the grapplers aren't alone. The boxing community loves to come out in every single fight where there's a good striker in there with an okay striker, the puncher's chance. Now they've got to go back to Michael Moore versus George Foreman to find the last time that a puncher's chance actually applied itself, but it won't stop him from saying it. And Oliver has proved that he can deal with some stuff. Oliver made a great point when he was putting Islam down, when he was trying to not get the fight. He said, hey, Islam's won eight in a row, but not one of those eight is over a guy in the top 10. That was a very compelling argument. Oliver also didn't want to do the fight. Openly said it had Lieben come out. 
His trainer spoke to the world, said, look, we don't have a big problem with Islam. Sure as hell don't have a problem fighting 55. We got a problem with Islam in Abu Dhabi. And he laid out a compelling case. It ended up going absolutely nowhere. And I do bring to you that all of a sudden this fight gets announced. And it happens to get announced one week after Volkanovsky makes it public that he's interested in going up to the division. Now, I knew Volk's never going to get an opportunity at 55. Nobody's ever going to call him and offer him an opportunity. It's never happened that way in our sport. Would you always want to use history? I get there's a first time for everything, but that's not... Hope, hope is not much of a strategy, guys. Prayer and crossing your fingers, these aren't much of strategies. The guy at a weight class that goes for champ champ status will be banging on the door. He will yell and he will hoot and he will holler until they finally let him go and try it. And hope that he never comes back and does it again. But that's how these things work. And Volk wasn't doing it. But it did look as though it was possibly gaining a little bit of steam. And I tie that into Michael Chandler. Now, I spoke to Michael Chandler yesterday. Michael Chandler respects me. He likes me. He doesn't trust me. I could just tell you, when I have back and forth with Chandler, I can tell his defensive skills going off, going, hey, it's a guy with a big mouth. It's like, well, I have a big mouth and that I come and talk a lot. I can keep a secret. Believe me, you tell me something, it'll never come out of my lips. And I only share that because I started to ask Chandler, right? It's hard to be talking to Michael Chandler and not say, hey, what's going on here? Because Chandler had called out Makhlchev. Makhlchev's now going with Oliveira. Many of us believe that Oliveira and Connor were waiting for each other. Nate Diaz surprises us that those two are waiting for each other, which would at least tell us the weight class that Connor's looking at. But now that Makhlchev is going with Oliveira, what does Chandler do? Because there you are left with, of course, Poirier. That's the one if I had to bet. If, I, if I'm doing the matchmaking, boom, got my fight. But you've also got this Darush business. Then you have these up-and-comers at 55 that are chasing these stars. These up-and-comers that don't have big names. Guess what three of them have in common in the last three months, guys? Main events on ESPN. That's a damn good way to become a star. And I'm only sharing this because Chandler knows these things. Chandler's a thinker. When Chandler went after Makhlchev, and only because Chandler did it, but I know Chandler pays attention. So when Chandler went after Makhlchev, my thought is, oh my goodness, Volkanovsky's gaining traction. Volkanovsky's gaining traction of getting to this weight class to the fact that Michael Chandler, who might be the division's number one contender, thinks he's going to get Oliveira, which means Makhlchev would be a number one contender's fight. That's what it told me. Well aware I could have had that wrong. What I am sharing for you is we start to get some of these pieces. Guys, it just gets better and better. I just threw two ideas. Who would you rather see Michael Chandler fight? Dustin Poirier or Benny Darush? Just by example. And we can keep on playing that game. Who do you want to see in there? Next with Justin Gaethje. At what point are these five big stars going to have to leave the ladder down so that these other younger up-and-comers, just as beautiful of records, possibly just as skilled, just not as well-known, how they can come up in the loft? That time might be now. That might be how Justin Gaethje gets booked, just by example. 155 is exciting right now. If you care about the lightweights, 
You're probably interested in Conor McGregor. We've speculated about his future a lot on this show, and Conor's coach has finally weighed in on how he's doing. Coach Kavanaugh came out, and he was talking about Conor McGregor has returned to the gym, says he hasn't lost a beat. Now, that's a big deal from Coach Kavanaugh, because he only gives it to you straight. He has zero part of him that is promotion. He has zero part of him where he goes to the public to build somebody up. You ask him a question, he just tells you straight. I'll just give you an example. Conor McGregor was going to come back after he fought Floyd. And Coach Kavanaugh said, I'm not going to train him until he convinces me why he's coming back. I need to know this is about victory. I need to know this is about championships. If this is for something to do or this is the only life that he knows or he thinks that he's supposed to, I'm not going to train him. It's a big deal. Kavanaugh spoke this way. And Kavanaugh even did cut down time. And he even did give other coaches more time with Connor because he wasn't seeing what he wanted to see. And I don't fully know what Kavanaugh's looking for. But I know he doesn't give a damn about the money. I know he doesn't give a damn about the promotion. Right, getting his name out there, doing these interviews. That's not what he's doing. He's an old school guy. He goes to the same gym every day. He works with, with people that come through that door. Some new kid comes to the door with their father, gets introduced, boom, gives him a chance. Next thing you know, it's 10 years later and that guy's fighting in the octagon. But this is what Coach Kavanaugh does. So when Coach Kavanaugh comes out and praises Connor, it's not the same as when most coaches would praise somebody. And there is some very positive things that happen when you're out. The rest that you get, we always think about that as physical. He's repairing his body. He's rebuilding his body. There's a truth to that. But that's in the very short term. You'll need three days to damn near be at 100%. Within 30 days, you're starting to tip the scale of, okay, I'm regressing. The good news that happens when you take a break is it's the mental relief that you get. One thing that is very difficult is to stay in the same division for your entire career if your career is a period of time, call it 8 to 12 years. It's very hard to do. You will go crazy staring at those names. You will go crazy reading those numbers. You will go crazy watching a new guy who won over a guy that you beat, but did the new guy beat that guy that you're familiar with worse than you beat it, right? It's one of these, you'll go crazy. And a great relief you can get to that is when you're forced out of the sport, you're taking a break. Now you get to rest your mind. And I also feel that that's a big part as to why Connor has not established his weight class yet. Connor spent enough time with the 45 pounders he wanted out, plus he was having a hard time making the weight class. Well, that's kind of getting there with 55. Connor can make 55. I'm talking about staring at the same names. How many times do I got to stare at Diaz? How many times, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> do I got to stare at Poirier? Do I got to stand at Ferguson? How many times do I got to hear about Justin Gaethje? Now we got this new guy, Michael Chandler. Coming. Like, what am I supposed to do? Okay, you know what? Let me just go to 170. And going to 170 isn't him physically and actually going to 170. It's let him send his mind up to 170. Let him start fantasizing and daydreaming about the, the Usmans of the world and the Covingtons of the world and the Leon Edwardses of the world. Get yourself somewhere else just to have a mental break. And I share that because this break has been very real for Connor. But it's not the physical side that you're looking at. It's the mental side. So there is very good reason why Connor would come back into the gym and be in beast mode. Some of the best guys I've ever sparred with in my life are teammates that I had that I was perfectly familiar with. Whipped them all the time. They slip one in on me, I get the best of them all the time. 
when those guys retired, then they pop in the gym about five times over the next year just to see the boys, just to say hello. It was a nightmare to go with them. There's something about when you don't care. There's something about when you're relaxed. There's something about when the outcome no longer matters to you. Those were some of the most dangerous guys I've ever been with. And I've watched guys, even in wrestling, my true love, I've watched them be retired and show up to the U.S. Open. We had a guy do that this year. A guy who was retired named Maple. He's a coach out in Missouri. He lost a bet with one of his athletes. He had to enter a tournament. It happened to be the Nationals. He won it. Nobody was ready for him. Nobody had studied. Nobody had a heads up that he was going to enter. He's a former NCAA champion. It's not as though he doesn't know how to wrestle. He's in the practice room every day, right? He's a coach at Missouri. So he's plenty active with it. Oh, by the way, he's not paralyzed by analysis of the field. He hasn't even looked at the field. Goes in, walks through the tournament. Now everybody is familiar with him. Now everybody is watching him. Now there is no more surprises. Now all of a sudden it does matter to him. His very next match at a very different tournament, lost. Out of the whole thing. From the best in the country to going to a tournament that was within the country, couldn't win a match. Amazing story, amazing job. But you see them all the time. I wasn't to put Maple down or how he did at the trials. Not at all. I'm sharing with you one of the huge advantages you get by being out, even if you're forced out. And it's not just rejuvenating and recharging your body. You finally get to rest your mind. You get to put all of those voices that love to tell you you can't. You love to put them out of your mind because it's not even a conversation. It's a very interesting spot. When Coach Kavanaugh says that Conor McGregor is in beast mode and that he has not lost a step, I believe it's true. To close out today's show, there's a non-MMA story that's got me all fired up this week. I want to give you guys my thoughts on it. So Tom Brady retires, holds a parade, they announce his retirement. I come on something called YouTube and I tell all of you, Tom Brady's not retiring. As a matter of fact, he's not even going to miss a season. He'll be here next year. Now, you, you laughed at me. You gave me a hard time. But I was the same guy who had told you that the 2020 Olympics that were announced canceled by everybody, including the broadcast owner, NBC. I came in and told you, no, they're going to have the Olympics. They're just going to do it later. They'll do it in 2021. The quad will happen and it will roll right into 2024. Separation of three. I told you guys these things. I told you guys, believe all victims except Amber Heard. They're going to deem her a liar. I told you these things. I don't get these things wrong. Not just in fairness, in fairness to myself, because I'm seeing a dialogue going around that is so baffling to me that Elon Musk is going to be forced to buy Twitter. And you're having legal experts. Now, there was a dumb dumb. He goes by the name of Kramer. It's like Jim Kramer. If you want to lose your money fast, right, th this guy will make you feel like Brewster's millions, but not for nothing. He's still got a voice. He's still got a name. I just produced it for you. I created some in image in your head. You have some idea. And many other people are coming on saying that Elon Musk doesn't have a leg to stand on, that he's going to have to buy this. Now, you can look into the law much like you can look into science, or if you can use something that's more effective than both, it's called logic, Okay. I get that you guys don't love the law. Most people don't. I'm from a family of attorneys. The people in my family that are attorneys don't find the law as interesting as I do. They just don't. 
you got fellow fighters in the back that don't have any idea about the unified rules. Charles Oliveira had no idea when he got on the scale at 155 and a half pounds that he was going to be leaving his belt. I mean, just in all fairness, there's people that do that they don't know anything about it. Or they don't know it as well as that you might think. Let me give you guys a real... Elon Musk is not going to have to buy Twitter. Hard stop. You can get out right there. But you are seeing a narrative, you are seeing the wave saying that he's going to have to buy it, that there's no way out, that any, that he'll be forced to buy it is right now. This is the current, the current this moment narrative. He will be forced to buy it. Now, people that are a little bit smarter have hedged their bet differently, which is Musk put up a billion dollars of what's called earnest money to show that he was earnest, that he was sincere. Here's a billion, and if I don't go through with the deal, you get to keep your company, and you're going to keep my billion. Great. Do you know how earnest money works? And I don't attempt to condescend to you. There's only a couple times in life that you'll ever deal with it. If you were to buy real property, it would be very traditional that you would have something called an earnest money agreement. Now, I'm out here in Oregon. There is no such thing. And I don't suggest for you that the agreement doesn't exist and the people don't sign them every single day. There's no such thing. I have met realtors who've been down in the dumps because their clients did not fulfill a bargain and lost their earnest money because X date expired. And I will just stand there and I will listen to them. I'll tell them, oh, that's too bad. And I'll think inside, you're a really dumb person. So I just want to understand how this works because it's just basic logic, okay? Just use the earnest money example because Musk had to put up a billion dollars. If I'm going to buy your house, guys, Okay, and here's my 10,000 to show that I'm earnest. And the date that I'm supposed to do it by elapses. I may agree as the person that's at fault. You will agree as the person that wants released that money. Neither of us has the ability. I could be in complete agreement with you and you could show me the contract and show me the date and I could look down at my calendar on my watch and see that I've passed it. I don't have the ability to be wrong there and you don't have the ability to be right. Only a disinterested third party known as a judge can make that ruling. So anybody in the history of ever that has forfeited earnest money, you are a fool. And the other side of the coin is quite a, a bit of leverage, which is if you're contesting and you're saying that we're still in contract and you're trying to force a negotiation and agreement and a purchase between us, you're also saying you're not going to sell to anybody else if you get a better offer. So Elon Musk wants to buy Twitter for $42 billion, and a lot of you people think that he should be forced to do it. Now, Twitter's worth about $27 billion, but a lot of people think you force him to pay the 42. So if you're a shareholder of Twitter, and that's really what you believe the right thing to do is, if you get an offer from $50 billion, you cannot accept this offer because you're contractually already in a negotiation with Musk that you find to be binding. And let me tell you just how fast Twitter would dance right out of that one. Oh no, we've got no agreement. He didn't fulfill. Mr. Must take your billion dollars back. No, there's no deal here. Look, this this is expired. Which I mean, if this was a normal deal, this is a fifty. This is one of the biggest purchases in the history of time. If it wasn't, if it was something a little bit smaller, Elon would have just called one of his rich buddies and told them to go do that very thing. Go offer Twitter fifty billion. Twitter cannot accept that. Not even on an earnest money, not even on a contingency. They could not accept that at all until they have no deal with Musk. You guys have heard the expression, 
Since the time you were a little kid, you've heard the expression that possession is nine-tenths of the law. It's true. Nine-tenths of the law is possession. So now imagine what you're trying to agree with the experts on TV that they're going to force Musk to buy this. Taking his billion dollars that is sitting in escrow that he doesn't have the ability to pull off the table that a judge could release. Okay, you can have that conversation, but that's not the one they're having. They're saying they're going to force him to buy it. Think about that in your life and tell me if that would ever make sense. There's a steak dinner right there on the table. Guy says, you owe me a hundred bucks. You go, but I didn't eat it. I'm not paying you the hundred dollars, but I'm not going to eat it. I don't have a way to get somebody to force you to give me the hundred dollars. And then what? I teleport that steak into your body. What if it's a car? You never come and take possession of the car. I force you to pay me for the car. Then I force you behind the wheel and I seatbelt you. It doesn't make any kind of sense. So not only are you ignoring one of the most basic principles, which is possession is nine-tenths of the law, you're acting as though Elon is going to have to buy, and then what, he must take possession of it? He must become the boss? He must take the keys? He must have the servers? It's silly. It's against logic. Musk does not have to buy Twitter. Twitter filed an SEC filing claiming they had 5% bots. That turned out to not be true. Now, under anything done by the SEC, that's considered fraud, and somebody will go to jail in handcuffs. They're not doing that here. Let that go. There's enough mistake. It's hard enough to come up with. They didn't write it was hard to come up with. They didn't write it was a mistake. They wrote there was 5%. Elon relied on that. Now it turns out, according to them themselves, that that number is way off. Elon Musk does not have to buy Twitter. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave me a five-star review. There's going to be no podcast this Friday, but I promise I'm going to make it up to you with three special shows next week. Enjoy UFC London. I'm going to be back on Wednesday to talk about it all and tell that I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.